What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 53 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com. And I want to start this episode off by giving you guys a, a really solid thank you for all your support with the 2017 Draft Guide to 2QBs. We really wanted to make this thing great, and I think that we did a pretty good job. And of course, we're going to try to do better next year, but um, all your support is is very much appreciated, uh, including donations that we got from some of the guide's contributors. We're going to end up raising, I think, over $900 for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence uh, at NCADV on Twitter. Uh, and Sal and I are going to donate a little bit extra to get that thing uh, up over a thousand bucks. So we're really happy to, you know, kind of give back in that way and, and let, you know, this piece of the fantasy football community be a force of change for good, especially in a way that, you know, really bothers us when it comes to some of the stuff that goes on in the NFL with domestic violence. And it's, it's hard to resolve that. I know Sal's not playing fantasy football because of that this year. He wrote a good post about that. You can find that on his Twitter feed if you want to, but um, yeah, just really good stuff right there. And, you know, P.S. By the way, all that support for the guide also helps us keep doing what we're doing at 2QBs.com. That includes this podcast. That includes a bunch of other stuff that we have lined up for the season. Uh, just a quick rundown of what you can expect uh, in 2017 at the site. Uh, this podcast, we're going to record this on Mondays for the most part, uh, release it late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. Um, Derek Klassen is going to be doing a Things We Learned uh, piece. It's probably going to publish on Wednesdays. All these days are approximate for the most part. I'll have rankings in my game Flobotics spreadsheet uh, on Wednesdays or Thursdays most weeks. Sean Slavin is going to be doing a 2QB or not 2QB article. Uh, he did one for week one. It's essentially a, a super flex cutoff article, one where you'll see you know, where in the rankings of quarterbacks it starts to become more feasible to start considering running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Uh, Adon Davenport on Thursdays is going to be doing uh, kind of a deep dive on two quarterbacks from a single matchup. Uh, and then we're going to have DFS QB picks for FanDuel and DraftKings. Those are by uh, John Proctor and Jeff Dumont, respectively. Those will come out on Fridays. Uh, last thing is Anthony Spangler is going to be doing a QB big board similar to what Joe Seneskalchi did last season. Uh, periodic updates, not every week, but generally following you know where the QBs lie uh, in you know rest of season rankings. Uh, so once again, thank you guys all for very much for the support. We really appreciate it. The podcast, the site, uh, we're doing, you know, really well and it's all thanks to you guys. So, so thank you from the bottom of my heart, bottom of Sal's heart. Really, really appreciate it. With all that out of the way, let's get to this week's guest. He's back. It's Jim Sonis at Jim Sonis on Twitter of Numberfire fame. Jim, how you doing? It's all good, Greg. Finally got to see some real football this week, which is exciting, and I'm happy to be on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Yeah, that Patriots-Chiefs game was just this kind of refreshing breath of air, where like the yeah. game was pretty good in the, in the first place, but also just the fact that I got to kind of sit there and soak it in. Yeah. And instead of trying to like forecast and you know predict, it was just like, okay, let's <laughs> see what happens, right? Right, exactly. And it's just, it's so nice to just like sit back and like, yeah, you're still trying to like, you know, log, okay, this guy was in this situation, this guy did X, this guy did Y, and you're still thinking about that. But at the end of the day, we're just sitting and enjoying football. So I know that it's technically work, but it's also just a lot of fun to sit there and enjoy. I know that, you know, the quality of football this weekend may not have been great, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to complain. It was still football. So I'll take it. Yeah, totally. And I was actually looking through your Twitter timeline as prep for this podcast. Occasionally I'll do some prep, you know, and um, uh, one of the things <laughs> I noticed that you had up there, you know, previous to the games on Sunday were some notes on the Panthers wide receivers. And I kind of wanted to pick your brain on what you saw in that game, because like you, I was very interested. I was very interested to see what their offense looked like after all the changes they made. They brought in Christian McCaffrey, uh, they brought in Curtis Samuel, uh, Devin Funchess is supposedly going to have a bigger role, but it was kind of an interesting game against a bad defense from the 49ers. And I don't know, what, what did you see there compared to, you know, your expectations for that game? I think it was a lot more revolving from a snap rate perspective than I was hoping for. They had done this at times last year where they would rotate guys in and out. And it was at times frustrating because they would always have slow, low snap rates. I think we're going to have that again this year, which is kind of frustrating. So I was disappointed there, but I did like that even with bringing in guys like uh, Christian McCaffrey, like Curtis Samuel, doing some moves that indicated potentially more of a shorter passing game for the Panthers. 
they were still throwing it deep a little bit. And I, I like that. I know that Cam didn't look great. He had some really questionable throws, but I did still like the aggressiveness there at times that it makes me encouraged for guys like Funchess, uh, makes me like uh, Kelvin Benjamin still. I think I have a lot of worries around that offense, but I did like that they were still being at least aggressive and trying to push the ball down the field. That's something that I do adore in offenses is ones that will be aggressive and try to go deep a bit. Yeah, Russell Shepard got loose for a touchdown. He and Funchess yep. each caught both of their two respective targets, so not a whole lot of volume there for the tertiary receivers. Uh, and you would have think that that means Kelvin Benjamin did pretty well. He did I not. Wish. He only caught one of five <laughs> targets. He submarined a few of my DFS lineups in the process. Yep. <laughs> and and so if you extend that further, you say, okay, well, if those guys all were terrible, then Greg Olson must have done something. But nope, uh, he, he was only targeted four times, two catches, 18 yards. So, I, I mean, it's interesting because McCaffrey did lead the teams in, in targets with mm. seven. He added 13 carries, and that actually made for an even split between him and Jonathan Stewart uh, in terms of just overall opportunities or looks. Uh, Stewart had 18 carries and two targets, uh, one of which he took for a touchdown, which was abnormal for him. But you're right. You can see that they're still throwing it downfield despite the fact that this dink and dunk stuff has entered into the offense uh, I was looking at NFL.com's next-gen stats uh, earlier today. Cam was 8th in intended air yards, 6th in average completed air yards, 6th in aggressiveness, which measures how often you throw into tight windows. And on third down, mm -hmm. he was 13th in air yards to sticks, throwing uh, just plus .1 yards uh, past the uh, the first down marker. So basically throwing to the sticks every time. So this is an offense that we have to keep paying attention to because – Again, what we saw on Sunday was against a bad defense, against a right. you know a better team where they will have to throw more, where they can't rely so much on the running backs. It'll be really interesting to see you know how those passes get distributed. If Funches and Shepard and Olson and Benjamin can kind of convert more of those long looks. Um, anything else you got on this game before we move on, Jim? Yeah, you mentioned McCaffrey. I thought it was super interesting that he actually played 70% of the snaps. Mm -hmm. And if you had told me that they would win by the margin that they did, I would have guessed his snap rate would have been maybe in the mid-50s, 60% or so. But he played 70% of the snaps, which to me says even when they're in positive game script, he's going to play. And so I've I've been way below consensus on McCaffrey ever since the draft from, from a redraft perspective. But I think going forward, I will be a lot closer to that. It makes me more willing to use him just because just out of seeing that. I don't know. I am really worried about Cam. I want to see how he looks going forward. Maybe he was just knocking the rust off last week. I want to see if he can do better going forward. But I think that was a really positive development for McCaffrey, at least playing that many snaps. Yep, Cam coming back from injury. So keep an eye on him. I have a feeling that, you know, these first few weeks will probably be rocky. And that's also probably why you're seeing more of that short stuff to the running backs. Uh, but uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll find out. Um, let's move from the NFC South to the AFC South in our week run recap here. And this is probably the biggest development for two quarterback leagues. And that's Tom Savage being benched at halftime for Deshaun Watson. And I am Jack's complete lack of surprise. This is something that I think we all saw coming. It was always a question of when. And for them to do it in week one is a little surprising because if you're if you're willing to put Deshaun Watson in there, just let him get the start from, you know, day one, right? Give him some first team reps and preseason, all that stuff. None of that happened. Watson came in. He didn't look good. Uh, both quarterbacks did feed DeAndre Hopkins, but no other wide receiver was really relevant in this game. I think that Watson's rushing ability will help the running backs there, but God, their schedule is a nightmare looking forward. I, I think, I guess that's what you get for winning your division the previous year, but I don't know. What do you think about this? Is is Watson a guy that you're looking at for two quarterback formats, or are you letting him be someone else's problem? I mean, I think you have to because of the rushing ability. I think you have to at least look at him for those reasons. But until Dwayne Brown gets there, and he's not there, he's he, I see no way he plays Thursday because that's their next game. I, I can't think that he would get in there and be able to practice and be able to play in time to start that game. So probably no Dwayne Brown in week two. I would be very low in this entire offense until Brown gets there. And even then, they have nothing left at receiver outside of Hopkins. You know, they've had so many injuries there, Jalen Strong, suspension. Like, it's just 
thing after thing after thing. C.J. Fedorowicz concussion, uh, all, Ryan Griffin concussion. All three of their tight ends got concussions yeah. on Sunday. <laughs> it's insane. And when you add that all up to not having a a really solid left tackle in town, it's really hard for me to get jacked. So you have to look at Watson, Watson because of the rushing ability, because of DeAndre Hopkins, because of the draft stock. But it's really hard for me to get excited still. Yeah, and that is the saving grace, is that because of his rushing upside and because their weapons are so limited, he might just have to run a ton. And, you know, against these good teams, against these good defenses, I, I think you might see him flush from the pocket even more often. The problem is, is what happens if he starts taking hits? I, I think right. that you're right. If you're in a two-quarterback league, you have to look to acquire him if he's available. But if you already own him and someone wants a QB, like let's say you're the Watson owner and somebody else put a little bit too much stock in Tom Savage, I'm trading him. Aw- I'm trading away Watson if I can afford to, you know, right away. And I'm, I'm taking not anything, but I, I want to get something for him right now before, you know, this potential disaster of a season plays out. Because let's just run through his schedule moving forward, because I think this is, it, it's crazy how tough this is. He's at Cincinnati next week. You know, that's not too bad. Then at New England then Tennessee at home, Kansas City at home. The first easy game is after that, Cleveland at home. Then they have the bye. They come out of the bye to go at Seattle. Then they get another easy one with Indianapolis. Then they're at the Rams against Arizona, at Baltimore, at Tennessee. Like, it's murderer's row. Uh, And then in the playoffs, you get San Francisco in week 14. That's an easy one. Uh, Then at Jacksonville and Pittsburgh. Like, there are, what, four or five matchups you really actually like him there you know cleveland india san francisco maybe the tennessee games i i yeah i'm just terrified of this of this guy going forward and i think if i'm a hopkins owner i'm really worried if i own those running backs i'm really worried i guess that's the next question is whether or not you own or or want to pick up deshaun watson how do you regard guys like lamar miller guys like donta foreman and deandre hopkins and fedorowitz are you doing anything with those guys are you trying to get out of them while you still can yeah, probably. Um, it, with Dwayne Brown still not being there, I think that I'd kind of always assumed that he would show up at some point. He just never happened. And, you know, Aaron Donald's reported to Los Angeles, but still no Dwayne Brown there. Um, and to me, that's a huge thing. If you look at their splits last year with Dwayne Brown when he was out the first four games and without him, it was pretty huge, especially for Lamar Miller. And now Bill O'Brien's saying that they want to give Deontay Foreman more carries on Thursday's game. It's could be because it's a short week. I don't know. Uh, but at the same time, that does worry you for Lamar Miller. And until this offense starts to look better, it's hard for me to get super excited. So I know it's selling low on a guy like Miller, but I'm okay doing that. With Hopkins, he may just get enough volume where even if it's so horribly inefficient, it may still be fine. So Hopkins, I'm kind of more okay with. Uh, but for Lamar Miller, I need efficiency out of quarterbacks tied to my running backs. And I really have a hard time seeing how he'll get that. Yeah, it definitely seems like Miller could get there on some amount of volume, kind of like Todd Gurley did last year. But that was such an unexciting yeah. way to score points. It's like the the Frank Gore <laughs> school of, of fantasy. Yeah. It's just like grind away like a, a 10-point game and, and hope that the rest of your team is good yeah. enough to carry that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about this team in general. I think even their defense is probably going to be overrated based upon the fact that their offense is going to be bad. Uh, so, yeah, Houston Texans – Probably uh, just a big time avoid going forward. Uh, let's go across the division to probably the next biggest quarterback development uh, from Sunday. And that was, you know, the Scott Tolzien, Jacoby Brissett dumpster fire alarm going off. Like <laughs> this, this team needs Andrew Luck really bad. Oh, and man. we don't know when he's coming back. Are you interested in Brissett at all? I mean, I, I think I like him more than Tolzien just because he's yeah. not Scott Tolzien. Yeah, I agree. I think that's kind of the way I view it, too. I actually have uh, Scott Tolzien in the Scott Fishbowl. So um, that was that was pretty painful. Um, hopefully Sam Bradford does not uh, force me to ever use that guy. But uh, I think that Brissett is better than Tolzien. The problem is they're facing Arizona next. They still don't have Ryan Kelly at center, who is, I would say, their best offensive line. Maybe him or Jack Buhork, but one of those guys, probably their best guy, Buhork got banged up in that first game too. So the offensive line is in shambles. Uh, I think that Brissett showed some aggressiveness, which is good. He had a big uh, 50 yard bomb to Dante Moncrief, but it's really hard for me to see him succeeding against Arizona. So I still view it as an upgrade for uh, if you're, you know, battling with yourself over Tolzien and Brissett. But even then, 
he's only been at the we, the team for like two weeks at this point. So what's the upside in that? I, I just think that it's better than Tolzien. So I'll probably pick him up in Scott Fishbowl, I guess, unfortunately. But I just it's it's not great regardless. Yeah. And now that Miami and Tampa Bay are coming back into the fold, I don't mm-hmm. really think there's any excuse to own Tolzien in any no. two quarterback format. I think he's completely cuttable because either luck is going to come back soonish or he's just or Tolzien's just going to lose the job to Brissett. And if if you're told if you're a Tolzien owner, I wouldn't think twice. I'd just cut him. Even if you don't get a quarterback to replace him, just go get something else. Go get a running back. Go get a wide receiver, a tight end, like whatever you need. A streaming defense. Like I think Tolzien's time is up. Even if he does start again, maybe one or two games against Arizona, you don't want to use him. And and considering how many other options you have before the real buys kick in there should be no excuse. Like you should have some sort of backup plan to where Scott Tolzien is not a guy that you need to use. I had Paxton Lynch as my backup plan, which worked out really well. Jim, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, I just want to tell you, I'm sorry. It was bad. It was terrible offseason for quarterbacks for me. <laughs> the Scott Fishbowl is man. It's crazy because of that stuff though. Like I was yeah. a Tannehill owner and yeah. I put in what I thought was a pretty aggressive bid on, Cutler, I think I bid 58 of my 100 fab dollars, and he went for the full boat, the full hundred. Somebody was just like, nah, I'm going to use all my fab. I did 75 and I missed out. God, that's yeah, insane. Yeah, I did 75 and I still didn't get it. It was so upsetting. I get that quarterback is important in a 12-team Superflex yeah. league, but quarterback is not that important. You don't want right. to give up all of your fab flexibility. Upset. Like, I, I mean, I don't mind because that means someone else in my league doesn't have any fab for the rest of the year. I feel, I feel right. that's plus EV for me to not get Jay Cutler. It's plus EV for everybody else besides that one team, which may end up biting me. But I, I mean, I don't know. Like it's still a super flex league. I still have two other starters. Uh, for, the only time I'm really gonna have to worry is bye week. And because I didn't spend all my fab on Jay Cutler, now I do have fab to spend on Jacoby Brissett if I want to, or any other quarterbacks who might luck into a job. So don't be that guy next year. Uh, if in the Scott right. Fishbowl or any league, like don't, don't blow your whole fab budget in week one. That's uh. It's just Especially a, on Jay Cutler. <laughs> Excellent point. Thank you, Jim. Um, let's move on to some non-quarterback developments coming out of week one. And I think the biggest one for me is Allen Robinson being out for the year. What do you see the impact being for Blake Bortles slash Chad Henney, maybe moving forward? Like these guys weren't, you know, high end quarterback assets in the first place, but Allen Robinson's a very good wide receiver for all their struggles. What do you see? going down here are you downgrading those quarterbacks i think you kind of have to yeah i think you absolutely you have to and i think that the the issue that i had with the jaguars going into the season was that doug marone had flat out said he did not want to run or did not want to throw the football ever if at all possible he wanted to run the football a lot and that's exactly what they did in week one they did not throw the football ever essentially outside of the one play where uh, Allen robinson got hurt so you go from having Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns, and Marquise Lee. And I actually kind of don't hate Marquise Lee, but when Marquise Lee is, at least in my eyes, your best receiver, you've got some issues. So I, I and Didi Westbrook's an injured reserve too, so they don't, they don't even have him, like, have him to fall back on. So I think it's a huge downgrade. I could see this being a team that goes with the Fisher approach, where even if it's negative game script, they just pound the rock. So I see no upside here with the Bortles or Henny. I don't see a floor. I think that it was it was bad before, but it just got even worse somehow in week one. Yeah, I looked up the uh, the splits for Bortles with and without a Rob on the Rotoviz uh, splits app, and with Blake Bortles scores about twenty two PPR points per game. I don't know why I say PPR when I'm talking about a quarterback, but about about <laughs> he did 20- have one catch. <laughs> about twenty two points a game with Allen Robinson between two thousand eleven and two thousand sixteen. That's just like his average points per game. Without Allen Robinson, it's only 14 points. That's a huge drop-off. Um, the touchdowns yeah. go way down. He, they just don't throw quite as much without Allen Robinson in the game, which makes sense, I suppose, and, and that really backs up what you're talking about in terms of playing Fisher ball moving forward. But, yeah, this is something that if I'm a Bortles owner, I, I'm just like with Watson, I'm trying to get out. And I don't know what you can get for Blake Bortles with this news kind of on the table. Uh, and, and it might just be that you need him to stick around as a bi-week replacement for your other QBs, but be careful if you can cash him in for, you know, something that doesn't leave you too far behind at QB, then I think that's a, a risk probably worth taking. This is 
an offense for me that's four net or bust. That's the only guy I want out mm-hmm. of this crew going forward. Agreed. And if you can get like a Jared Goff, like if you can get someone thinking they're selling high on Jared Goff, I would take Jared Goff over Blake Bortles in a heartbeat right now. Yep. I um I, I did kind of bury the lead. I said that Allen Robinson was the most important, and, and I lied. David Johnson getting hurt is definitely <laughs> the biggest news. This is what I, I get for not reading ahead in the show notes as I go here. But um, well, you Liz, stuck with the AFC South trend, so it was it was logical like flow wise. Yeah, master of segues, not yeah. so much a master <laughs> of determining what's important. This is this could be a problem. Um, but yeah, David Johnson wrist injury. Uh, sounds like he's going to be out for a long time. We saw some, you know, fluffy reports at first saying, oh, it might not be that bad. But I don't know what you've seen, Jim, but for the most part, the reports I'm seeing are bad. And it sounds like he's going to be out for a long time. F- first of all, let's let's get the, the waiver wire question out of the way. Kerwin mm-hmm. Williams or Andre Ellington? Yeah, just listening to Bruce Arians' presser today, first of all, it sounded like it would be a long time. Uh, so that's definitely discouraging. And when it's coming from Arians, you kind of – I know that he has inflated the numbers of guys in the past, like Andre Ellington. You know, he's like been that way, but he is pretty straightforward as far as what the what what's happening. He said DJ's probably out for a while, so he's probably out for a while. And he, it, he made it sound as if Kerwin Williams would be the early and down guy. The problem is I'm not sure how much value there is in that. Uh, you know, DJ Humphreys, their left tackle, is also out for a few weeks. That's not good. Um, so I will pick up Kerwin Williams over Andre Ellington, but it's not like I'm going to spend all my fob on Kerwin Williams. I think there are better guys out there. Buck Allen, I adore. Chris yep. Carson's interesting. Um, and, uh, of course, Tarek Cohen as well. So I think that Williams, to me, is a guy you need to pick up, but he's going to be pretty low on the priority wire for me. Yeah, I agree. I think Buck Allen is probably your number one running back waiver wire target this year. He was really good in a pass-catching role the last time he was featured that way for Baltimore. Uh, I would also, uh, yeah, Chris Carson is a tougher one because it sounds like Rawls is going to play this week and that could just further muddy an already muddy backfield. I, I think that that's kind of a stay away as well. Um, and Tariq Cohen, I think is probably number two for me behind Buck Allen. I think the upside is definitely there. Uh, I just don't think we're going to see quite the same usage that we saw in week one mm-hmm. with him going forward. Let, let's turn this to the receivers and to Palmer. I imagine that this might actually be a net positive for them to some extent in fantasy. Probably not Palmer, but the receivers for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but Palmer, you know, losing your best player, especially a running back, doesn't help the QB ever. Um, I think that he gets a slight downgrade, but that might mean more passing TDs, even if he's not quite as efficient. What do you think? I agree. I think that's kind of the way it has to go. And I think that, like you said, if Palmer's efficiency goes down, it's a downgrade for him. So it's, it is a net negative for him. But for John Brown, you know, mm-hmm. like a non Larry Fitzgerald receiver in that offense, he played a lot of snaps in week one. Yeah. JJ Nelson, same thing. I think that those two guys are the biggest winners here. Maybe even Jermaine Gresham. You know, I think that he could be a winner as well. So I think it's, it's not, it's obviously a bad thing for the offense as a whole, but from a fantasy perspective, I think that there are guys who win. Maybe they'll have fewer touchdown drives now without David Johnson, and that probably will be the case. But if more of those go to John Brown, specifically Week 2 in DFS against the Colts, I will not complain. <laughs> He's 5,800 on FanDuel Week 2. Just, you know, throwing out a couple of little hints there. Uh, but I think that overall this will increase. I mean, because DJ's a 20% target market share guy. That is huge in an yeah. offense. So, yeah, I think that it's actually a positive for guys like John Brown, J.J. Nelson, and Jermaine Gresham. Yeah, now I would be remiss right now if I didn't kind of bring up the other elephant in the room, and that was just that Palmer didn't look very good yesterday in what was supposed to be a pretty good matchup against Detroit. He's looking older and older, and as the former co-host of this show, Joshua Lake, would note on regular occasions, when the QB age cliff hits, it it hits fast, it's merciless, and QBs fall off hard when they fall off it. So if that's what's really happening here then everyone's a downgrade, and you have to be really careful with this offense going forward. Now, if you do believe that's happening, and I'm not I'm not ready to go there after one week, but if that's something you want to start to forecast or speculate on, it might be time to put some feelers out there for Blaine Gabbert and Drew Stanton on your 2QB waiver wire. Um, you probably wouldn't have to give up anything to get them yet. Uh, whereas, you know, if Palmer looks bad another two weeks in a row, especially with a you know a nice matchup coming up here in week two, 
you might see them make that switch. And Gabbert did look good in the preseason. He was serviceable last year with the 49ers. Uh, the, the big question for me is whether or not it would be Blaine Gabbert first or whether they'd turn to Drew Stanton. Do you have a good feeling one way or the other there, Jim? Yeah, it sounded like Stanton was the guy who won the backup job in the preseason. So I would go on the assumption that it's him. And if it is him, you get to use that incredible gif of him on the sidelines so in the Seattle game. Like, I think that that, to me, is the biggest reason to potentially do that. <laughs> not the, not like the potential for Palmer to fall off. It's the gif. Do it for the gif. I would do it there, and I think that you're right. I think that there is a possibility that does happen, and Stanton, to me, would be my preferred guy there. Yeah, you're probably right. Based upon what we've heard so far, based upon the fact that Stanton has been there longer, he's probably the guy who's going to get the first shot. Now, with that said, Drew Stanton isn't any good either. And if he struggles, and if the Cardinals continue to struggle as a team and maybe lose enough games, there is a story you can tell yourself where Gabbert becomes a starter there to to finish out the year. So again, keep an eye on these guys. I don't think it's, it's time to add them just yet, but don't forget about them. And, you know, if you do have a roster spot to play with, these are the types of speculative ads you can make in a two quarterback league. Um, let's move on. I want to get to our boom of the week and we'll get to the bust of the week after that. But who to you, Jim, was the, the quarterback that, that was the biggest boom, the biggest, you know, exceeder of expectations we have alex smith on thursday night football to open the year he was awesome matthew stafford deshaun kaiser came out of nowhere to post a really good week against uh pittsburgh uh, who was it for you yeah i mean i love sal stefanelli so i cannot disgrace him and come on a two qbs podcast and not say it was alex smith and i think that that would be my, my legitimate answer even if i didn't love sal uh, yep. but i really do think it was alex smith of 35 attempts Seven of them were at least 16 yards downfield. That's 20%. That's above the league average from last year, around 17.8%. And when you look at their personnel, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, guys like that, Chris Conley, these are all physical specimens, guys who can get down the field. And it kind of makes sense that you would chuck the ball deeper. And the Patriots last year had a tremendous defense against deep passes, showing that Alex Smith kind of took over that preseason and training camp hype and uh, kept on chucking it deep. To me, it's a pretty big win. So I think that that was huge. I think that Stafford doing well against Arizona is also awesome. So I think that he's a a good 1B pick here. But for me, Alex Smith, man, I know it's week one, but he looked really good. No, that's the correct answer. And after Sal, um, I I would actually be remiss if I didn't (laughs) give an honorable mention for this award to Tyrod Taylor. He is who we thought he was, right? <laughs> this is the guy who last year, uh, yeah. against all expectations, you know, delivered a top 10 points per game season, and he's off to the races again, man. Like, a nice matchup. He delivered, you know, concussion be damned. He was really good in week one when he w- needed to be good and when he was supposed to be good. And I-, I think a lot of people were overlooking him, talking about, oh, you can't start Tyrod over this guy, this guy, and this guy. And sure enough, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback again. I Man, I'm just, I'm so stoked to see him playing well, uh, you know, in spite of, you know, kind of the train wreck that's that's happening all around him there in Buffalo. Yeah, and people may disqualify Tyrod by saying it's against the Jets, but the Jets brought in Mo Claiborne. They brought in a couple of high-end draft picks at safety. Like, the Jets will be better this year against the pass than they were last year. So I don't really view that as being something to just write off for Tyrod. I think it was actually just a, a good game. So I, I, th- I agree that he was impressive to me in that game, I think. Yep. All right, so bust of the week. Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Andy Dalton, somebody else. Who, who do you got here? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, worst performer would be Andy Dalton. Um, but I think that from a forward-looking perspective, Russell Wilson to me was very concerning. Um, I was worried heading in about what that offense would look like without George Fanta left tackle. And I'm more worried now. I know that the Packers have a good pass rush. They've got some really talented guys on the defensive line, and a linebacker too. But long-term to me, that's super concerning. Because it's not as if there are, you know, defenses in the AFC West that or in the NFC West rather that don't have pass rushes. I mean, Arizona can get after it, so can Los Angeles. Like there are some good defenses out there to deal with. So I'm worried for Russ. George Fant's not coming back anytime soon. So I think it would be Andy Dalton here, but from a forward looking perspective, I'll go with Russ Wilson. I have a rule for the podcast, Jim, and that's if a top 20 quarterback scores negative points, he's automatically the bust of the week. So for me, it's Andy Dalton. <laughs> okay, I like that. <laughs> what do you think the odds are of us seeing A.J. McCarron this season? Uh, Well, behind that offensive line, Andy might not live to see the full season. So 25%? 
there's another speculative guy for you two QBers out there. Just saying. I think uh, I want to give a, a small honorable mention in this section to Joe Flacco. In a game that his team dominated, he couldn't even finish top 20. I mean, keep collecting those paychecks, Joe. Good good for you. Um, that, I mean, to, to be fair to him, this was a preseason game for him, essentially. He sat out all of the actual preseason. So it remains to be seen, you know, if and when he can move past, like, this kid's glove phase of what he's got going on in Baltimore. But, God, just the, like, always underwhelming Joe Flacco. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I had 17 pass attempts. They want to run the football. If you run the ball 39 times and your running backs are Terrence West and Buck Allen, probably says something about your passing game. So I would agree. It was, uh, it's not going to be a good year for volume for Joe Flacco again. Uh, anything else you want to touch on from week one, Jim? Yeah, I think that the one thing that I was really watching in week one was to see what Jared Goff could do against a very poor defense, because if he couldn't excel in that situation, I'd be very worried. But he honestly met expectations. I wouldn't say he exceeded. He was very close to doing so, but I think he met expectations. He was pretty solid against them, over 300 yards. He was able to feed Cooper Cup. He threw the ball deep more often than he did last year. Again, I do like that quite a bit. So I wanted to see him be good against a team where he should be good, and he was that. So I think going forward, I'm still viewing golf the same way I was preseason, which is optimistically. I like what they did in the offseason. I like what they did with the coaching staff and the draft, everything to get him better. So I think that he passed my test, and I am cautiously kind of excited about what we might see this year. Yeah, I like that. Uh, A lot of the times with these later round or later pick quarterbacks, you really have to just kind of hope for predictability more than anything else. Like you talked about, you expected him to do well in this matchup, and he delivered on that. It's when... Tom Brady only scores 10 points when you expect him to score, you know, 18. That's when you start to have problems. And, you know, with a guy like Brady, you don't mind it so much because, you know, you know you're going to get good stuff from him most of the time anyway. But for these lower-tier guys, it really does matter when they can deliver upon expectation like you talked about. I like that call. And and I'm, like you, cautiously optimistic about Jared Goff uh, there in L.A., now, overall, we can't really overreact too much to one week. You know, I, I think that a lot of the times the fantasy community in week one and even, you know, after week two is so quick to make, you know, hard and fast decisions like this is this is it. This is what we've seen and this is how it's going to be moving forward. But that's just not the case. You know, like like we were talking about with Flacco and even with Cam Newton, for a lot of these players on a lot of these teams who don't play much in the preseason, the first couple weeks of the regular season are their effective preseason. So these teams are still figuring stuff out. There's still a lot of injuries to shake out, guys that are going to come back from injuries, you know, guys maybe holding out like you were talking about earlier. There, there's a lot left to be decided, and we still have to be very careful about not forecasting or overreacting too much. But with that said, let's overreact to the fact that <laughs> all of the old guys, or not all, but many of the old guy quarterbacks yesterday did not do very well, while a lot of the new guard uh, did very well. You know, uh, Carson Wentz, Derek Carr, Deshaun Kaiser, all, I think, uh, you know, meeting or exceeding expectations, whereas we've talked about the struggle, struggles that Palmer had, uh, Andy Dalton and, you know, Brady to some extent, although I think we can explain that away, uh, and Eli Manning. Like, these these guys did not look very good. My question for you is kind of, if we want to take a long view and maybe think about this from a, a keeper dynasty perspective or just trying to, like, forecast further into the season in terms of, you know, rest of season value, how or when would you expect any of these players to start either over or underperforming their initial expectations, like those those draft and preseason expectations? Like, for example, I did not like Eli Manning in the preseason, and I think that losing Odell Beckham Jr. for however long makes me like him even less. Like, I already was down on Eli. I thought he was going to underperform his draft cost, but now I think it might be even worse. Like, he might just be washed up. In terms of kind of forecasting that changing of the guard, what are you looking for? And at what point are you willing to kind of drop down the gavel and say, okay, here's what I've decided on this quarterback? Like, what what sort of stuff do you look for, Jim? It's kind of back to what we discussed with Goff, where it goes back to what did they do relative to expectation? I think with Andy Dalton, the expectation was not much. Baltimore, a very good front seven. And the Bengals' offensive line, not great now. And I, I think that you should have expected him to struggle. I think a lot of people did, to their credit. So 
I think that Dalton doesn't worry me, worry me as much because it was kind of what I expected. Eli, pretty much the same thing uh, with no OBJ being in there, uh, but the offensive line did not look good, which does not help his outlook. Mm-hmm. I think the one guy who really underperformed outside of Brady would be Palmer. Um, I I know that we can't just say because Team Y was bad in 2016, they'll be bad again in 2017. But Detroit was really bad in 2016. They ran a decent pace again this week, but Palmer still still couldn't do a whole lot. Now he doesn't have DJ, doesn't have uh, DJ Humphreys, left tackle for a bit. That, to me, was a worrisome point. And now we get another big test of that this week with him facing Indianapolis. If he can't eat in that game against Indy without Vontae Davis, I would assume— then I will react pretty quickly. I'm already hesitant, more hesitant now than I would have been to invest in Palmer, but I would drop the gavel, as you said, really quickly if he can't do well this week. So it's kind of just basing or judging them based on expectation. If they underperform by a lot, then I'm going to react quickly. But if they perform up to expectation, which is kind of where I'm at with Dalton right now, then I'm more okay with it, I guess. Yeah, that Indianapolis game is going to be a really good litmus test because like you said jared goff did fine there and if jared goff can do yeah. fine but carson palmer can't then there's something wrong with carson palmer right right uh, nick Foles did well last year against them that's right and looking to you know the the more optimistic guys like i think we can still kind of hold these guys in in regards where we're managing our expectations like carson Wentz had a really good week one but he had a really good week one against a bad defense just like jared goff going up against washington uh, Carr is an interesting one to me. I think that I probably overrated how good the Titans defense was going to be. And, and Carr did look good, but I, I will say this. I think that he really benefits from having just one of the best offensive lines. And if for some reason, one or two of those guys got hurt, he's a guy you might have to reevaluate. But as long as those guys are playing at the level they're playing, Carr, I think is going to continue to outperform my expectations. And I'm already starting to bump him up my estimation that uh, he has good receivers. Marshawn Lynch, you know, looks rejuvenated. I think that that team and their defense looked better yesterday too, for what it's worth. I, I think that that team is one that is definitely continuing to rise, um, you know, even past what they did last season. And I thought they overperformed last season. So I, I I'm going to take the L on that one. I think I was wrong. Uh, and Carr is going to be a guy I like more moving forward. Deshaun Kaiser is, is an interesting one to me because he has that rushing upside too. His script in that game was pretty favorable, and he's still going to make a lot of mistakes. We saw him make a lot in that game against the Steelers. So he's another guy I'm tempering expectations for. So in terms of like these these younger guys who are kind of stepping up, I think Carr is the only one I really believe in. And a lot of that is based upon just what we saw last season, right? Yeah, and the other thing with Carr for me is Jared Cook. I know that oh, yeah. everyone hates Jared Cook. Everyone loves to hate Jared Cook, but the Packers' offense last year was better when Jared Cook was on the field. And... Jared Cook, 71% of the snaps in week one. He had five targets, caught all five for 56 yards. I think that is a positive to have a functioning tight end in that offense. They have not had before. Uh, you still got Michael Crabtree. You still got Seth Roberts. Obviously, Amari Cooper. You add in Marshawn Lynch and that offensive line. I agree. I think that I was in the same boat as you where I underestimated Carr heading into the year. I'm not moving Wentz too much. Um, I think that his willingness to throw deep was better this week, uh, but... Again, not a great defense, and I want to see that duplicated before I really buy in. So I'd agree. I think that I'm at baseline still with Kaiser and Wentz, but Carr to me is rising, and I probably just underrated him to begin with. Yeah, I I do want to touch on Tom Brady here real quick. I think that you and I both just kind of glossed over him because it's he's Tom Brady. He'll be fine. Um, But speaking specifically about that matchup against Kansas City, it was a tough one. They're a good defense. Tom Brady still hung 27 points on offense. I'm buying. Like a lot of those were rushing TDs. He didn't get in there. Um, he was really close to a couple touchdowns passing. So if he's a guy who a person in your league has soured on, now might be the time for a buy low. Although I think most people in competitive leagues are wise enough to see through that stuff. Right. So so good luck. Um, <laughs> all right. Before we look ahead to next week and the matchups we're going to see there for various quarterbacks i want to take a quick break for our sponsor uh once again it is play draft and 
While best ball season is over, you, know, you can't draft best ball anymore because the season has started, uh, you can still play DFS on PlayDraft, and it's very cool. Instead of having to do like a salary cap thing where you and the people you're playing against might end up with some of the same players, like that sort of overlap doesn't exist when you play on draft because you actually snake draft your teams just like you would in a seasonal league. So if you end up with the first pick, you get your first choice of the players on that DFS slate and he's yours nobody else can pick him and then the second player to draft has uh, you know a similar option as well and, and you know you go through you draft lineups and then you battle with those DFS style uh, in the upcoming week so it's a very cool system you should definitely check it out and if you do uh, please use the promo code for this podcast you go to playdraft.com slash TWOQB and use the promo code TWOQB. That's playdraft.com slash TWOQB with the promo code TWOQB. And the best part is that you're playing for real money. Cold, hard cash. But there are buy-ins for all sorts of different budgets. So you can play for a little, you can play for a lot. A lot of fun. Check it out. Let's get back to Jim. Let's look ahead to week two. Let's uh, preview the upcoming slate. And I want to start by just straight up stealing, Jim, two things that that you and Sal came up with for your QB2 experience podcast last year. And this isn't something that's coming back, which is why, you know, I've decided to pilfer it. Um, I I got the blessing from Sal. I did not get the blessing from you. So (laughs) apologies. Do I have your blessing, Jim? Yeah, that's Sal's baby. Whatever he says goes, man. I'm all for it. All right. Sounds good. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the QB streamer of the week. And you guys would pick up multiple streamers last year. And we can talk about a few different guys, but who is it for you this week? I, there are a few matchups that are pretty intriguing. And when I say streamer, there isn't really necessarily a, a real streaming capability in two quarterback leagues. Most of these guys are going to be owned. I guess what I more want to talk about is, are you willing to start these guys? Are these guys who, like, if you have someone else who's in a bad matchup, like someone we don't like, who we'll talk about later, are you willing to start, you know, Jared Goff versus Washington over Dak Prescott against the Broncos. And that's what I mean by streaming. When a guy who you may have drafted or or picked up at, at a lower cost actually elevates to starter level over someone who typically would have more value. That's what I'm talking about when I say streamer in 2QB leagues. So with that overly long explanation out of the way, Jim, <laughs> who's your QB streamer of the week? I think I could make a strong case for either Carson Palmer or Jared Goff. I'll stick with Goff here. I think that Palmer, I know that he looked bad, but I think he's more obvious just because it's the Colts. Like even if no matter how bad he looks, you should start him against the Colts. They're kind of like the, the flow chart where are, is he facing the Colts? Yes. <laughs> then you play Carson Palmer. So I'll go Carson Palmer, but Jared Goff here looking at Washington's defense, they didn't do much against Carson Wentz last week. And with Cooper cup, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, the tight ends, they can't just shut down the offense with Josh Norman. I know that not a, not a lot of those guys are like studs, just Watkins basically, but like there are pieces in this offense who are functional NFL players, and Goff didn't really have that last year outside of Kenny Britt, rest in peace apparently, uh, with his move over to uh, Cleveland. But I think that with Goff, we kind of saw what we expected, and that was the offense under Sean McVay, the uh, the additions in the offensive line with Andrew Whitworth, John Sullivan at center, both are starting right now. I think it was what we should have expected. A guy who was the first overall pick, who performed pretty well at Cal, and was getting an improved situation in year two, he's at home. Facing a poor defense, he'll probably have positive game script. They are somehow favored in this game, which is awesome. They're two-and-a-half-point favorites. I would be pretty okay starting Jared Goff this week. So, yeah, I think that Goff, to me, if if it's between him and Palmer, I'd probably go Palmer still. But I think Goff is uh, very much up in that discussion, too. Yeah, I agree that Palmer is my 1A, and mostly because— yeah, just what we saw from Goff against that same yeah. defense last year. I do still believe Palmer is better than Jared Goff. I think the loss of DJ in this particular matchup could be a good thing. Again, because they may not be running quite as much around the goal line in the red zone. Uh, if they're passing it more down there, then Palmer could have a big game. I agree that Goff is probably number two in terms of these guys. Uh, just some quick shout-outs to Deshaun Watson at Cincinnati. Not a great matchup like we talked about before. But there is that Konami code rushing potential. I think that we could see shades of Terrell Pryor back when he still played quarterback. You know, a guy who was not a very good QB, but he ran the ball so much that he was just an every week starter in terms of two quarterback formats. So 
I don't know if I'm really ready to run Watson out there, especially because he was a little dinged up coming out of week one, apparently. Although, sidebar, that also just seems to me like one of those potential reports for just to kind of throw the opposing team off the scent, make them try to prepare for Tom Savage, even though we all know that Watson's the guy that should be starting. Anyway, I think I mean, they're Watson... the same quarterback, right? They same speed, same, yep. same everything. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so Watson is a guy who I'm looking at. Um, I think that Bortles against Tennessee is possible, but probably not with a Rob out. Like I think if a Rob was mm-hmm. still there, he's a guy I'd consider for this spot after we saw Derek Carr due to Tennessee, but not without a Rob. And the last guy who I think is a stretch is Mike Glennon. Uh, the only reason I, I'm throwing him out there is because we haven't seen that Tampa Bay defense yet. We don't have any context for, for them. And that worries me a little bit. And like I talked about earlier, I'm not sure that Tariq Cohen is going to continue to catch defenses off guard the way he did in week one. So right. um, Glennon's another guy who, you know, if you're really desperate, I think you could throw a dart at, but uh, I think that that's the list for me. Are there any other guys who have maybe some, some deeper appeal to you, Jim? I, mean, I wouldn't even hate Glennon above like Bortles, to be fully honest no, I agree. Uh, with, with, uh, with Allen Robinson being out. I think that Glennon's not a terrible pick. I might put him above Bortles. I think, if How about Watson plays Watson? because of the rushing, what's that? How about him versus Watson? I guess that's where you were going. Sorry for cutting you yeah. off. <laughs> no, no, I think I think I think that I would probably go Watson because of the rushing, and that's the only reason. Um, because I want I hate that offensive line so much right now. <laughs> so I would go Watson by a hair because of the rushing, but it's it's very close for me. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'd do the same. I think Watson's the guy for me, and okay. Glennon, and then Bortles. If you're looking at those three and trying to, okay, to rank them cool. somehow. Uh, let's go to the other segment we're going to steal from the QB2 experience. And that's the <laughs> clipboard holder of the week. This is the regular <laughs> starter, uh, someone who you would typically play in a two-quarterback format who you're looking to bench this week. And I want to kind of, before we make a pick, I want to just throw out a, a more general question. Should we always just pick the guy who's facing the Denver Broncos? This week at Stack. Yeah, probably. Um, like if it's on the road, especially, uh, I, I tend to do that. Um, I, it's generally that, but I think that it could change this year. I mean, things change all throughout the time, all the time in the NFL. Last year, I did not expect the Vikings to be a team where I'd always bench the quarterback and they wound up being that too. So right now it's Denver. I'm watching other teams, specifically Jacksonville, which we might talk about a little bit, uh, as potentially being a team that that winds up being the case. But yeah, I think Denver to me is still that team. Yeah, I agree. And I think Dak Prescott in particular is a guy who did not look very good in week one. I was a little worried about him heading into the season to begin with. Mm -hmm. So he is definitely, for me, the choice in terms of if I have to pick one guy who I'm avoiding, it's going to be Dak Prescott at Denver. Uh, But let's talk about some of these other guys who may be, uh, you know, possible guys you should bench. And Jacksonville gets to face Marcus Mariota at home. Um, is Mariota a guy you would really consider benching even even at Jacksonville? Right now, no, I would not. Just because I don't think we've seen enough on Jacksonville against a good offense to say that I can't use a guy against them. I know that they were good last year, at least their secondary was, and adding Clayus Campbell is huge. So for right now, no. But I'm watching them very closely for this week because that could change in a heartbeat. I want more data on them, essentially, is what it boils down to because they are they were sick against Houston. So I, I know for right now from Mariota, I think some guys that are at least worth watching here, like I know that it's just one game, but and we saw this in the preseason too, but Washington has not looked good. And uh-huh. now Los Angeles probably getting Aaron Donald back. I don't think I'm benching Kirk Cousins. But I might have to change the way I look at him at least. Yeah, I'm totally with you. Cousins is a guy who, even more so than Prescott, was a a player I was very down on in the preseason. I I think I was the one person to trash him in our bold predictions uh, piece at 2QBs. I I mean, not the one person to trash Kirk Cousins ever, but the one guy to do it at 2QBs. I think everybody else at the site was really in on the Kirk Cousins experience and I don't see it, man. His schedule's way tougher this year, evidenced by this this upcoming game, evidenced by his previous game against the Eagles. He's a guy I'm really worried about. I think he's going to continue to miss Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garçon. I love the point you made about uh, Jacksonville. They did look amazing, but it was against Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson, right. against a real offense, a real quarterback in Mariota, and against a team that has a good offensive line, specifically right. one that can kind of tire them out and wear them down with the run a little bit, you know, fingers crossed. I think that 
this should be a completely different matchup than what we saw in week one. I can't wait to watch that game or at least yeah. uh, take a look at the box score if I don't you know, get it on my local cable provider. But um, a couple <laughs> others to throw out. Uh, Tyrod Taylor at Carolina. I'm not benching him, but I, I could see the argument there. He's on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, against a, a pretty solid defense, but he was undervalued last week against a weak opponent. I think when people see that he's going up against a stronger opponent, he's going to be even more undervalued, like relative to where he actually should be. I think Tyrod's going to be fine. Uh, and the last guy for me is Sam Bradford at the Steelers. But, you know, based upon what we've seen on Monday night, I don't know if I could bench him either. I, we saw yeah. what Kaiser did. Kaiser did fine. And he's more mobile than Bradford, and maybe that makes a difference, but... I, yeah, I, I think I'm in on the Sam Bradford experience. He might just be my you know spirit animal for the 2017 season. <laughs> so Sam Bradford had one of the lowest deep rates last year in the entire league. I think he was like third lowest in the league uh, based on throws 16 yards plus downfield. When we left this, uh, when I stopped watching that game to go record, he already had seven deep attempts in the game. He had completed six of them for like 167 yards. Dude was filthy. Stephon Diggs healthy. Kyle Rudolph healthy. Adam Thielen amazing so i i think that i don't hate bradford this week i'm probably not going to you know go out of my way to use him like i did this week against new orleans but i think he could be okay against pittsburgh they're a very good defense but i i, I kind of like this offense in general a lot to be fully honest no i completely agree and he's a guy who like you said i would not necessarily be running out to start him because the match of this week was choice it was the best possible right. matchup he could Absolutely. have and pittsburgh is a much better d but I th- still think he's going to be in my top 20 when, when it all is said mm-hmm. and done. So um, the last thing I want to touch on is is kind of a, a – like the, the guys in the middle here, the guys who you have a harder time getting a read on, players who have you know a bigger range of outcomes between that boom and that bust, which players have that profile for you, the, the guys with more uncertainty, and how do you approach them when it comes to you know deciding whether or not to start or sit them? Yeah, I think it depends on roster construction. Um, and, you know, is is this a guy who – do I need a high floor guy in my lineup? Um, or do I need a high ceiling guy? And I think that Deshaun Kaiser is going to be kind of the prototype of that this year because, as we saw in the Pittsburgh game, he can rush for a touchdown. He can have five rushing attempts, which is awesome for fantasy because you get that, you know, like you said, the Konami code of the, the rushing upside and the rushing floor. But at the same time, in that exact same game, he also took seven sacks. And we saw this at Notre Dame. We saw in the preseason. He holds onto the ball forever. And I know Cleveland's offensive line is better, and I adore that. But they're still going to take sacks, and that means lost fumbles. That means interceptions. That means a very low floor. So I think Kaiser is going to be that guy with a huge range of outcomes for this year. And I think that if we're comparing to, like, Tyrod Taylor – like on a normal basis, I think that Tyrod Taylor's range of outcomes is significantly lower because he seems to have good ball security. I'm not sure Kaiser has that just yet. So to me, if we're talking about a guy who could just blow up in the positive or negative sense, it's fully Deshaun Kaiser right now. Yeah, Tyrod's interesting because he does tend to build a pretty good floor with his rushing production. Mm-hmm. My concern with him when that happens is always what happens if the game script gets too negative? Will he still be able to run that right. much? I mean, sometimes he can. Um, but And the other question you have to ask is what if that floor just isn't enough to offset his deficiencies in the passing game? And judging by their receiver play yesterday where Charles Clay was by far you know, the only guy worth owning, <laughs> I, I think that there are some overlying concerns there. I think we are going to see more bust weeks from Tyrod this year than we saw last year. I think that that's mm-hmm. going to happen, uh, mostly due to the fact that they imploded the team around him. And I will right. never forgive the Buffalo Bills for that because no. <laughs> Tyrod was an amazing fantasy player. He's a fun player to watch. Just when you're you know taking in a game in general, I, it really pisses me off what's going on there in Buffalo. Yeah, that was bad, man. Like, I was so jacked for Tyrod. He's my quarterback 10 entering the year. Then the Sammy Watkins trade happens. Then they start ripping apart the defense. Then I'm like, all right, that was dumb on my part. So, yeah, I mean, that's tough. And it is, like you said, it is going to make his range of outcomes bigger than it was last year. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm so mad at them for that. And it, they're seven-and-a-half-point dogs this week in Carolina, too. So we're going to see what that floor can be this week. I think that this will be a good test for that. And hopefully a better test for the receivers just to give us a little bit more data yep. in that regard. I'm looking forward to that. Um, what else are you looking at in week two? We've already talked about keeping an eye on Jared Goff against another bad mm-hmm. defense. Um, anything else from week two catching your interest? 
Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before, that Jacksonville defense. I want to know if they are as legit as they looked against the Texans. It's so hard to grade a team when they're facing Houston without Dwayne Brown, when they're facing Tom Savage and then uh, Deshaun Watson in his debut. But Marcus Mariota? Pretty darn good quarterback. That's a really good test for a defense. They're at home, too. If they can mess him up and keep that offense in check, then they may be a team that will be featured in, in the clipboard holder section uh, coming up because they looked good, and I know that they have the, the assets there between all the high-end draft picks they have in the secondary, between uh, Calais Campbell now there as well. They've got a lot of really good players. So I want to watch that game against Tennessee, see how the defense looks, see how Mariota looks against them. And if they do well, then I'm probably going to start fading quarterbacks against them in a hurry. I'm already downgrading them, but I may just avoid altogether. They look good again. Yeah, especially at home. Uh, yeah. The other things that I'm looking for, first of all, it's just Brady versus Breeze, man. That That is going to be great, especially considering how bad those two defenses looked in, in week one here. Uh, I mean, the, the New Orleans game, is is it over yet? Did we, do we have a final on that one? Uh, I didn't see one. I just saw the Kobe Fleener to touchdown, which made me a little bit my the 2016 version of Jim very happy. Um, <laughs> but I didn't see a final on it, so it might still be going. But it's uh, the Vikings are going to win that one. So uh, they scored points at least. New Orleans did. Yeah, it's 29 to 19 as I'm recording this, and they're just inside the two minute warning at the end of the game. So more time for Steph Diggs touchdowns, baby. Yeah, Minnesota, man, what a performance! Thirty points, that's awesome. And so we get to see Tom Brady go against that New Orleans defense next Oof. week, and we get to see Drew Brees go against the New England defense that Alex Smith lit up. So you know, set <laughs> set your DVRs, set your watches, and let's hope for some fireworks there. I mean, you know, the way that Week One went, you know, especially you, you look at that Green Bay Seattle game, we're probably doomed for failure between the (laughs) Patriots and Saints, but that's a game I'm definitely watching. The other thing I'm watching for are the debuts of Jameis Winston and Jay Cutler. You know, we didn't get to see them in week one. I want to see how Cutler looks outside of the preseason. I want to see what Jameis Winston can do with all the upgrades that they've made. I think that both of those guys are really interesting for two quarterback formats. Uh, You know, Jameis is a guy who could potentially ascend to that surefire QB1 tier. And Cutler is a guy who could kind of retake his position as an every week QB2. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to those guys for sure. Yeah, Winston with Deshaun Jackson is going to be really fun, and I want to see what he can do there. Facing Chicago, not going to get a lot of better matchups for a passer than that. So, yeah, I think that Winston is going to be really fun with Djax this week. Yeah, can't wait. It's Football season's here, man. This is the best. Yeah. <laughs> we waited so long, and we finally get one week, and it's it's. I mean, I'm, I was like brimming when I, like when I was putting these show notes together just with excitement and I wanted to talk about all this stuff. So, uh, thank you for coming on, Jim. I really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for asking me, Greg. It's always a lot of fun to hop on here. You guys run a tight ship. So I always appreciate it. It's a lot of fun. I look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah. Well, why don't you let folks know where they can find you and, uh, what you got coming down the pipe for, uh, week two. Yeah, I am at Jim Sanas on Twitter, J-I-M-S-A-N-N-E-S on Twitter. And uh, if you're playing DFS, I do a podcast with Brandon Gadula, my coworker over at Number Fire. We did a recap podcast uh, on Monday, breaking down week one. We'll have a preview podcast for week two on Thursday. So check it out. Uh, if you search for the Heat Check Fantasy Podcast, you can get that in there. So uh, talking Brandon quite a bit. And, uh, Greg, I'm excited for week two in DFS. Should be a lot of stuff popping, but uh, it's going to be fun. I'm already I'm already jacked up for week two, and week one's not even done yet. Yeah, man, we still got a whole other Monday Night Football game. Well, yep. if uh, if you listeners want to get in touch with us uh, about the show, you can send us questions on Twitter at 2QBs or email 2QBs at gmail.com. And in both cases, you spell that out. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, please rate and review the podcast. Uh, we're going to be doing this every week through the regular season. Uh, different guests coming on at times, and um, it should be fun. I, I think this is going to be a more straightforward format relative to what we we're doing in the preseason, where you know we recap the previous week, look forward to week two, the or the following week, and um, you'll you'll get the hang of things real quick. And uh, if you have any suggestions or comments, I'd love to hear them. Uh, you can put those in in the ratings or reviews, or you can just hit us up on you know social media or email. I really appreciate uh, any feedback that you guys have. Once again, check out 2QBs.com for all the work we're going to be putting up there uh, this season. It is going to be a lighter schedule than what you may have been used to last year. Uh, we lost some writers. And, you know, with that said, if you are interested in writing for the site, you can always feel free to drop us a line. Uh, we'll take a look at any articles you want to uh, pitch us. And, uh, you know, if they 
cut the mustard. Uh, we, we can get them up there as a guest post and, and talk about maybe bringing you on as a writer. We could always use uh, more content producers at the site. Um, with that said, thank you all for listening. I uh, really appreciate your support once again. And uh, let's go get it, man. Let's go get this uh, fantasy football season. Week two's coming. Uh, we'll be we'll be done with the season too soon, I'm sure. And uh, thanks again to Jim. Uh, thanks to you for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.